Let's pray, guys. Lord, there's a great need for your grace to work tonight. And we don't want to take for granted our stance with you. We want to be shielded by your saving grace and to be held in your arms always. And God, even being saved by faith, we sometimes think that our works are giving us a greater position in you. And God, I pray that you forgive our pride for even thinking that we have anything to offer you at all. You are the bread and we are the hungry. We need you. You have no need of us. And so I pray that you humble us and you bring us to that place where all we can do is look up and ask you to fill us and ask you to hold us. Lord, may we never think that our salvation is of our doing and by our keeping, but that we depend on you wholly every single day. Lord, we pray for Rebecca's dad tonight that you would heal him and give him strength to his body. And God, we pray also for your prodigals and those that are seeking their way. God, that you would put your spirit to, to convict their hearts and bring them back to your arms. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Everything was perfect initially. You got to work and you saw the full benefits of your work and you got to just relax with God. No strings attached. God was just there. You're with Him. And the essence of a perfect being satisfying your soul, that you're completely full. You know no lack because you know no distance from God. You're just perfectly complete there. That was Adam and Eve's deal. They had it perfect. But one day they were led astray to think, we could be happy apart from God, couldn't we? So the serpent deceived them. And they decided to seek happiness apart from their dependence on God and eat from the tree of knowledge, thus demonstrating their desire to be in control of their life, making their own decisions of what's right and wrong. And so thus, becoming independent of God, they lost the happiness and perfection that God wanted them to have. They became their own kings, their own queens, and life went down with that desire. And so they had to be expelled from the garden, which is a picture of a temple, God living there. It's a picture of paradise in the future heaven. And they had to be removed. And that's where we are in chapter 4. And so Adam and Eve are discovering life in the aftermath of the fall. It's as if you will, the after effects of the atom bomb that went off and ruined paradise. And so now, no longer are they working and receiving full benefit, they're working and they're frustrated. Because they'll work hard and they only get a certain percentage of what they work for. Thorns and weeds and thistles and death and crops rotting and the heat of the sun. All these things are making their work futile and they're only getting some success in their work. And when they're trying to raise lambs, wolves come and devour them. And all of their work doesn't come to full fruition. There's that frustration. And then Eve learned her curse. 
when she had her first child. She says, in the process of time, Adam knew Eve, not intellectually, but the other way. And a son was born, Cain, and she then experienced her side of the curse in the fall. And as she screamed in agony and cried out, and mind you, they didn't have painkillers back in this time. She must have been just in horrendous pain giving birth to Cain and realizing, man, the effects of my stubbornness against God has brought this upon me. And then she has another child, Abel, and he's causing the same amount of pain. And, and then when that's finally over, she has to watch her children grow up and the heartaches and pain of a child, of children rebelling against their parents and all that heartache you guys have created with your own parents and your stubbornness and rebellions and disobediences and attitudes. Well, most of you are perfect, I'm sure. But they, they, they're feeling these pains and this imperfection. Well, Cain and Abel, growing up as brothers, we don't know how far apart they were. No evidence that they're twins. No evidence that they might have been 50 years apart. We don't know. But they grew up, and I like to picture them like me and my brother. Rivals. <laughs> Loving rivals. But man, we know when it's time to have fun, it's time to compete. <laughs> and they possibly invented baseball out in a field and <laughs> had, had games with their offspring. And um, no doubt they had children by this time. And, you know, it wasn't just Cain, Abel, Adam, Eve. We often think that. There's just four people. That's just all the Bible mentions. There's definitely lots of people at this point. And they're probably all, you know, the Cain family against the Abel family. And Abel always wins because he's able to do that. <laughs> and um, they have poker tournaments and you know the brotherhood's growing up and they have their own families and well while these kids are growing up Cain and Abel while they're still young dad takes them out to the field and shows them how to work how to make food how to work for a living and he shows them how to plant seed and how to water it and how to keep the soil tilled so it's all soft and let the sun shine on it and then it starts to grow and he then occasionally you have to show them these are called weeds. They choke the seeds. They're bad. Let me tell you why they're here <laughs> and give them a little object lesson on the effects of sin and ooh, yeah, we should obey God and just trying to raise them in the way follow God, don't make our mistakes, you'll make your life miserable. And so they grew up with this. Well, as they began to mature and were able to support their own families and work for themselves, Cain became a master at the fields. Man, he would just plow those fields and send all his sons out to work and look at it with pride as he would just all day toil and turn that dirt and plant the seeds and tell his sons what to do and pull weeds and thorns and prick his hand and feel the sweat on his brow. And when the sun would set by the end of the day, the golden glow would just shine upon the the fields and it just look like gold and he would wipe his brow at the end of the day and look at it with satisfaction and pride. That's my work. I have these fields to feed my family. Meanwhile, Abel started possibly doing the same thing, but he discovered there's a lot more profit for him if he was to raise sheep. Why do we need two farmers in the family? I'll be a shepherd. So he takes sheep and he learns how to keep them 
um, as a family, safe from the predators like the wolves and the bears and the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and keeping them protected and raising them up to be fat and plump for meat and to, to have the wool thick and make clothing out of it and to make milk from the goats and cheese from the goats and all this stuff he's learning and he would probably sit there and during the hot parts of the day and kick back on the tree trunk and look at his sheep and try to stay awake and look out for the wolves and the lions. And then he'd see Cain working over there. <laughs> He's sweating under the sun. This is great. I'll just be here. Lemonade, tree, book. This is wonderful. And then he'd probably look over at the Garden of Eden, which probably wasn't too far off, and meditate and think, what was it like to be in there? Man, I would love to just be chilling with God in that garden. Meanwhile, Cain, working on the ground. My work, my fruit, my wheat, my crops, my work. Cain, what would it like to be with God all the time? Well, those are the two brothers growing up. Now, it says there in our text that they... Um, in the process of time, were to bring an offering before God. And it was very likely that this offering happened every year. Maybe even every week. But we'll say every year. They held a big feast. The families would go over just to the edge of the Garden of Eden. And there they would meet God and build altars and put the stones on top of the other and they would offer their sacrifices to God and have a great feast afterward. And Cain probably brought his fruits and his grains and his bread for the people to eat and Abel would bring some lambs and they would sacrifice to the Lord. Now, God probably told them, I want you to give me an animal for the sacrifice. Oh, you can eat the fruit and stuff during the feast, but I want an animal. And we surmise this because of Genesis 3, verse 21, that after Adam and Eve had sinned and realized they're naked, that God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God killed an animal and clothed them with its skin. And there Adam and Eve learned that the only thing that can cover our shame, our sin, and our nakedness is the death or the shedding of blood of some sort. And God would have instructed them, this is how you are to approach me. No longer are you just free like you were in the garden. You have to come with a gift. And I need blood on the altar. So, years go by. Cain is probably sick and tired of having to buy a lamb from his brother to offer to God. And he's thinking this year, why is it only we can use able stuff? I'm capable. Look at my fruits and my grains. God can surely be happy with these, can he? And so this year he thought, I'm going to try it my way. We'll see if God is happy with my work. Because I work hard for this. I work harder than Abel does. Surely God will be pleased with my offering. And so the two brothers come. Abel with his lamb and his family over there. And Cain with his family and baskets and wagons full of flowers and fruits and grains. And it's like a, a, a garden on wheels. The thing's extravagant. And he brings it over. And Abel brings his little bleeding bat lamb. And... <laughs> well, 
you can probably guess, maybe Kane has a grudge against his brother. He's always won the baseball games, always won the poker tournaments. He's got the easier job. <laughs> so he looks over at Abel. Game on. <laughs> and they start building their altars. You see, Kane's thinking, I'm doing my own thing now. And you'll see, Abel, God's going to like my offering better. So, <laughs> competition starts. Or, you know, at least to Cain. Starts erecting the stone upon stone upon stone and Abel's doing the same thing and all the families are ready to see God meet them and they're going to have the feast of celebration afterward. And then, Cain looks over at Abel and he's horrified as he watches Abel take the lamb. Puts his hand on the head of the lamb, pulls out his knife, the lamb looks up with them with glistening, innocent eyes. <laughs> I can hardly suppress a smile. I just, you girls, you get me every time. <laughs> Takes the knife to the throat, swift and fast. The lamb hardly knew it was coming. And then red blood spurted out of his neck. And when he finished, the lamb just fell limply and helplessly under his hand and just fell to the ground and blood just pouring out in a puddle there and Cain's looking at us going that is sick and then Abel takes this limp lamb and lays it on the altar and starts to take the skin off and starts to cut it open and remove all the body parts and lay them there offered out in front of God and oh Cain looks at it and oh oh the gore the blood, look at it just fall like a waterfall and, and just piling like puddles of blood under the altar and oh, the stench. Look, ugh. And Cain's like, I'm so glad I'm not doing that this year. I'm so over that. And Abel just, not necessarily liking it, but his blood, his stained hands, rolling back his sleeves and his garments are now marred and smeared and the wives and children are covering their faces and it's done. It's there on the altar and boy, does it stink and it's a mess. Ew! That's horrific, Cain thinks. And then he looks at his wagon. Come on, boys. Let's show them how a real offering's done. He lays this bouquet, if you will, of just flowers. Oriental lilies and orchids and tulips and lilacs and dandelions and sunflowers. And I don't know. The whole, it looks like the Rose Parade. It's just a beautiful parade of flowers and it's so gorgeous and it even smells good and the bees are buzzing happily and it's like the sun is shining upon it and he's like that's right Abel look at this but then they step back Cain feeling very good about what he's done the work of my hands Abel stepping back feeling very ashamed that because of our sin he has to kill an animal and then Fire, as it did every year. Fire from God came down from heaven and torched the offering of Abel. And the whole thing was roasting like a barbecue. And that blood burning and all that hair burning from the lamb, it stunk like nothing else. And Cain waited. Fire, come! Abel's barbecue going, family rejoicing, God accepted their sacrifice. Cain... God, look! This is my best! Come on, God! Nothing. You can imagine how embarrassed he feels in front of his family. And now how angry he is at his brother. He always does it right. 
And now how mad he is looking at his humility and, ugh, and, God, I'm, why? What, what? And now he's angry. Why is my work not good enough to you? Why is it that his work is good enough to you, but mine's not? And so, Cain goes out of the pity party while everyone else is rejoicing as the families and they're having the feast to the Lord. And Cain's over there in the corner pouting. My brother always does it right. stupid brother. Why didn't God accept my sacrifice? God taps on his heart and says, Cain, why are you so downcast? Don't you know? Verse 6, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted like Abel was? If you do well, Cain, Cain, if you do what I asked you to do, if you give me an animal and kill it, you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, well, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain, don't hold this against your brother. Don't hold this against me. It's you who chose not to comply with my command. And don't you know, sin is like a lion crouching behind a bush. It's just waiting for you. It's aggressively waiting to pounce upon you. Cain, you've got to do something now or it's going to get you. Your anger is going to drive you to the point of doing something that you don't want to do, Cain. Offer me the acceptable sacrifice. And Cain doesn't. The feast is over. Maybe it's later at night. Abel's just put the family to bed. Cain's put his family to bed. And they are walking to their respective tents. And he says, hey Abel, let's go look at the stars. That's weird. When were you a stargazer? <laughs> well, if they go out to the field, under the cover of night, no one can see. Cain looks around. Everyone's in bed. Abel, what do you think about that constellation? It kind of looks like, what do you think it looks like? And, and while Abel's straining and trying to look at the stars and, and make it out, he does this all the time watching sheep. He's like, uh, I think it's, and suddenly Cain just <laughs> hits him. And he doesn't even know what happens. He's on the ground and Cain takes a rock and smashes his head and then, Abel? Just one burst of anger. He, he didn't even know. He, he just couldn't even control it. Just, just let it out. And, oh my gosh, what have I done? Buries him. Maybe he'll be awake in the morning. <laughs> Goes to bed. In the morning, can you imagine your conscience waking up after that? Well, you're sure God's going to speak to you after that. He wakes up and God asks him, Where is Abel your brother, Cain? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What have you done, Cain? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 
When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain cries out and says, My punishment is more than I can bear. And so is the case with every sinner. Our punishment is more than we can bear. Why was... I step back and maybe my interpretation of the story led into this but why was Cain's offering rejected and God, uh, Abel's accepted it was not because of anything within the brothers they're both sinners they're both bad it wasn't that Abel was somehow more pleasing to God because he was more upright in character or there's anything within him that pleased God more than Cain. They're both fallen human beings. They're both equal to God. So why was one accepted and the other rejected? I would suggest it's because Cain decided I'm not going to do what God has told me to do I want to worship God my way. It's a sincere way. I really want to worship God this way. But it's my way. And we have a world that's full of this opinion that says it really doesn't matter how we approach God. As long as you're sincere, God's going to accept you. Then why didn't God accept Cain? Jesus said in John 4, verse 23, that those who worship God must worship Him two ways, in spirit and in truth. Well, Cain had the spirit. He wanted to please God. But the truth was lacking. God said, this is how? And Cain said, okay, for Abel. But I'm going to go my own way. What exactly about his offering was it that God didn't accept? I read, you know, I read maybe ten or so different authors' opinions on this text and divide them all into three camps. Basically, no one is decided. The text doesn't specifically say, so I'm going to offer the three. And you know what? Whatever you think it is, that's fine. You can biblically support all three. My take is maybe it's a combination of the three. And I lean more towards the latter because it has more of the thread of redemption in it. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. So, why did God reject Cain's sacrifice? First of all, it could be because Cain offered it in an unwilling manner. He didn't offer it as in, um, I, I delight to give this to God. In fact, I'm so excited to give to God. I'm going to give to him my very, 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 very best. Because, and the reason some people point this out, is if you look there at verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Just, just some fruit of the ground. But Abel, on the other hand, brought the firstborn of his flock, that's the best, and their fat portions, which is the best part of the flock. So the contrast is Abel brought the best of the best, and Cain just brought some fruit. It could be. If that's the case, that he just kind of gave God his leftovers, whatever, he didn't, oh, here's a good crop for me and my family. These are the ones I don't really want. 
Oh, the feast is coming up. Perfect time to give him to God. Could be. God has some severe things to say against people that come to him in either worship or to offer him anything with this unwilling heart. This just a sense of obligation and duty. You know, it's because of God. I'm going to give this to him. Um, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, God says this to his people. I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Look, Israel, you can bring me the most glorious sacrifice possible, but I desire your steadfast love for me and for others way before I desire your best, even your best offering. So don't come to me without love. Just here, here it is, God. <sighs> Wish I could actually eat that myself, but, you know... Or some of us tithe this way. I can't believe I'm giving 10% of my paycheck to the Lord. As if He doesn't deserve all of it. I mean, seriously. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 9-7, that the Lord loves the cheerful giver. That's the one He loves. The one he willingly, God, you deserve this and more. Have it. I'm so happy to give it to you. But maybe perhaps Cain wasn't quite on board with that. Psalm 51, 16, God says, or David says, You, God, will not delight in sacrifice, or I would have given it to you. You would not be pleased with burnt offering, but instead, the sacrifices of God, the ones that He accepts, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. And then Micah 6, verse 8. God has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what He requires of you. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. See, God's looking more at the heart of the offerer than He is at the offering. But Cain demonstrated this lack of desire by offering maybe something less than or his heart was in the right place could be second possibility God rejected Cain's sacrifice because he offered it without faith Hebrews 11.4 by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain did through which Abel was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, Abel still speaks. There Hebrews makes it very clear that Cain didn't have faith behind, or at least it wasn't as accepted as Abel's, because Abel had this faith. He offered it. Well, what, what does it mean Abel offered it in faith? Well, if God indeed told the people, I want a blood offering, kill an animal, then faith accepts God's word is true, and then demonstrates its belief in that affirmation by killing the animal, or in other words, by obeying God. Abel heard God say, I want a blood offering. Abel said, I believe that's what you want, God. I hear you. I'm believing in your word. So how do we know that he believes God? You, you can't see belief. If you tell me that you believe something, I can't touch that. But what you do is you give 
physical evidence to your belief by how you obey. And Abel exercised faith by obeying and offering the animal. Therefore God said he had faith. Cain didn't. He might have believed me, but he didn't follow through. So his faith was, as James would call it, demon faith. Because <laughs> the demons believe intellectually, but they don't obey. So they don't have faith. Possibility number three is that Cain's offering was rejected because it was offered without blood. This is the one I lean towards. The others may be true too. But I think the issue here is Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. If God asked for a shed animal, He did so because He's saying, you guys are fallen man, and I'm going to overlook your sins if you simply, by faith, obey what I'm saying. So, I want you guys to give me a blood animal. And came and I thought, that doesn't make sense. Why? The fruit of my hands is a much better sacrifice. But God knew why he wanted it. And you guys know why too. Because this is a picture of, of what God would do to bring fallen man back into paradise. And that is by giving his son, John the Baptist called his son Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus was when he went to the cross and he was slit, and the blood spurt from his body. He became our lamb, and God was therefore able to forgive our sins. And God, wanting the same, every man in history saved by the same thing. It's, it's by faith. It's not by works. And God wanted even the earliest people to know, you're going to come to me not by your works, because Isaiah 64 says, your righteousness is as filthy rags to me. It is the most despicable, defiled thing imaginable. I don't, I don't even... Your righteousness is just... Don't even bring that to me. Don't even think your works are going to get your way to me. It's by faith. In the one I would send to die for you. And Abel was looking forward to that. By faith, he offered the more excellent sacrifice. The Bible says in Romans 14, verse 23... That without faith, actually it's Hebrews 11, 6, it says without faith it's impossible to please God. And Romans 14, 23 says anything done outside of faith is a sin. Cain may have been completely sincere. He might have given to the eyes of man a much more beneficial sacrifice. It must have cost him even more perhaps. It was beautiful. It was acceptable to man, but it wasn't done in faith. There was no blood. And so God says, look, man's works are despicable. The only way I accept man's works is through faith in my son. So I think the lesson that Moses wants to put in here, it's not coincidental that this comes right after the fall. He wants to show to Israel, and, and consequently to us too, that though God's giving us a law to follow Him by, you're not saved by keeping this law. You're not saved by your works in it. You're still saved by faith. 
And your faith will produce the works of this law. But you don't come to God by saying, because I kept the Ten Commandments, because I'm circumcised, because whatever the Jews would have said, because of these things, God accepts me. Moses would say, that is blasphemous because you're coming to God on your pride. We, we come to Him humbly by faith, trusting that He's somehow going to provide in the future a means to meet with Him as Jesus came to do. And we look back to Jesus and say, we trust that God accepts us because of Him. So the object here, in the early stages of the Bible, it's taught very clear. Salvation is by faith alone, not by works. Romans 3, verse 28. Paul says, we conclude then that man is justified, saved, by faith alone, not by the works of the law. And here's Cain he comes with his works to please God. But here's Abel. He comes with faith. I don't want to give this lamb. It's messy. It makes me feel terrible. But because you said so, I'm doing it. That's faith. And there's the great contrast. And so, what we see here, as early as Genesis 4, the first false religion instantly established. It's the way of Cain. And every false religion, in other words, anything that deviates from Christianity is in a sense exactly what Cain did. We don't want to worship God the way he's told us to. We're going to come our way with our works. It's so beautiful. And sometimes, guys, our works and thinking we can please God by the great things we do and our righteousness and our obedience, it looks like roses and flowers and grass and it looks so nice. But God says it's one way. You have to take the gruesome, brutal, gross, gory sacrifice of my son and it's only through him. Only. I want to finish our last five or so minutes looking at this. Two weeks ago, before Easter, we looked at the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. God said there's going to be these two seeds. There's going to be offspring of the devil in this world and there's going to be offspring of the women who eventually would be Jesus Christ. Some of you might recall this. And Jesus, or God, said there in Genesis 3.15, these two offsprings, these two seeds, are going to have enmity, war, tension, friction against one another from this day on until God comes back and defeats the serpent, Satan, once and for all. And Genesis 4 shows us instantly that tension between the offspring of Satan and the offspring of Jesus. Offspring of Jesus and Abel. Offspring of Satan and Cain. And there's the tension. Now, why is there this tension? Because 1 John 3 tells us Abel's works were righteous, Cain's were not. Abel was by faith. Cain was by work. The seed of the serpent wants to tell humanity, God will accept you if you're good. Work. Be good. Be righteous. Obey Him. It's, religion's important. Satan has stumped so many people into hell that way. But, Jesus says, it's by faith alone. Brandon, isn't it presumptuous to think that Cain was the offspring of the devil? No. Here, here's for three reasons. 
you look at the fact that he trusted in his own works, guess what Jesus called the Pharisees who trusted in their own works for salvation? <laughs> Brood of vipers, another offspring of the serpent, sons of the devil. John the Baptist called them the same thing. The second thing is, you look at what Cain did. What did he do? He, verse 8, murdered Abel. Verse 9, he lied to God about what he did. Murder, lie. Have we heard that somewhere? Yeah, remember Jesus told the Pharisees, Look, you're sons of the devil because you do the works of, your dev- of the devil. The devil was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And so are you. And what is Cain doing? He's murdering and he's lying from the very beginning. And then to cap it all off, Jesus in Matthew 23 tells the Pharisees, You brood of vipers, offspring of the serpent, the devil, you have shed all the righteous blood from Abel to Zacharias, whom you slew in the temple. What did Jesus say there? In that sweeping statement, he said, All the righteous who have died from Abel, right here, all the way to Jesus' present day, he says, the offspring of the devil has killed them. Why? Why is there this tension? Because, because the world accepts the gospel of works, but not of faith. And so the world comes at tension against the gospel of faith. And you look through history, this tension between Cain and Abel, this tension between faith and works, this tension between... Um, the offering of Jesus and the offering of the devil has been at work ever since the beginning. And when Jesus came and the church was established, you see it with Saul of Tarsus. He honored Judaism, which glorified salvation through works. And what did Paul do, Saul? What did Saul do? He murdered. He murdered Stephen, who was saved by faith. Paul, trying to be saved by works, saved by faith. What did he do? Like Cain, he killed him. Flash forward in history. So that was Judaism versus Christianity. Works versus faith. Flash forward in history to the Reformation. You have the Catholic Church, salvation by works. You have the Reformers and Martin Luther, saved by faith. And they clashed. Martin Luther separated. He started to preach, saved by faith. And what did the Catholic Church do? What Cain did. Killed him sought his life and put an end to it. And all of Martin Luther's followers, all the Protestants, all of those who preached from there on, salvation by faith alone, guess what happened to them too? Catholic Church persecuted and killed them. If you ever get a chance to read Fox's Book of Martyrs, that's the one thing that will stand out to you more than anything, is that all the people that die in there, with the exception of the first two chapters, the rest of it is dedicated to those who preached, saved by faith, being killed by those who preach saved by works. Christians, and I quote, Christians killing real Christians. It's mind-boggling to me. But there are the two seeds at war with one another ever since the beginning, and it starts with the establishment of false religion. Cain, saved by works, hates our message of saved by faith. So, with that said, don't be surprised, Christian, if the world hates you. When you say you're saved by grace through faith and not by works, don't be surprised if people hate your message. Don't be surprised if they, 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 they ugh, don't like it. Don't be surprised if they even want to kill you for it. Jesus said, look, they hated me. Don't be surprised if they hate you too. 
But you're the offspring of me. They're the offspring of the devil. Saved by faith is not mixed with saved by works. Cain always kills Abel, but Abel wins. So, I want to talk next time about the first martyr being Abel and how, uh, well, we'll talk about martyrdom. I'm not going to wait, so let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us a faith. And God, it is not the popular way. It's not the easy way either. Our flesh screams to work for salvation. It, it screams that we have to do something to be saved. And, and Jesus, I, I pray for those trusting in themselves that you would save them tonight and that they would trust in your Son. Uh, they trust in you. So God, may we be people who live by faith. Worshiping you according to truth, not according to the way we want. In Jesus' name, amen.